Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. All that you do, we thank you for this hour. We're asking Holy Spirit of God for divine wisdom, instruction. Grant us utterance and grant my dear listeners insights as well as your heart is open to receive these instructions from you that we may grow thereby. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. All right, so uh, we're starting a new series today and it's called Just Who Are the 144,000? So you could just say the 144,000. Our test is going to be from Revelation 14, 1 to 5. Hallelujah. Revelation chapter 14, from verse 1 to 5. It's going to be uh, a study that exposes and reveals a few things as compared to, you know, it's not, I would call this not the normal study. It's, it's not the normal Bible study, like, you understand that? Yeah, these are deep studies, these are things that God wants to share with us so that we can have an understanding when we're reading the Bible. Amen? Instead of just following stories, following fables, following whatever thing men have given to us, we don't walk that way. We walk by what God is revealing to us and see more of light and insight in his word. And if you're taking time, like I keep saying, to follow what we're doing here, the Bible will become an open book instead of a sealed book. And at the time you say the book is sealed, yeah, you read it, you don't understand anything. You'll be wondering, what am I really reading? The next in his story. But here, God is opening the seals so we can see beyond the letter. Amen? Okay, so we're going to be dealing with this. It's going to be a long, long study, I believe. Uh, so we're going to be dealing with chapter 14 of Revelation from verse 1 to 5. So let's just read through it. Chapter 14 from verse 1 to 5. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers happen with their hearts. <laughs> and they sang as it were a new song, before the throne and before the four beasts. And the elders, and no man could learn that song, but the 144,000, which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb with us wherever he goeth. Hallelujah. These were redeemed from amongst men, being the first fruit unto God and to the Lamb. And in a mouth was found no God, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Hallelujah. So we want to examine this passage, and we're going to take in each and every one of those uh, words, primary words, like uh, who is the Lamb? And where is standing? Say, Mount Zion. What is Mount Zion? We're going to be examining all of that. Who then are the 144,000? Who are they? That are with him on the mountain. Uh, what does it mean to have the Father's name written on somebody's forehead? Amen? You know, so what constitutes the new song? What was the new song they were singing? What makes up the new song? And why were they singing the new song? If one song is new, that means there was an old song. <laughs> so which one was the old song? You know, if you must understand, the old song is the song of Moses. They're the song of the Lamb. You see that? That was an old song. Now, so what do we mean when we say they are virgins and they were not defiled by women? Does it women, is it women that defies men or men defies women? I don't know. You understand that? We're going to look into all of that. How come... They were not defied by women. Now, they didn't tell us that these were, I mean, they didn't say they were girls. 
Everybody said they were virgins, right? Good. Now, these virgins, they were not Virgin Mary, they were not girls in, in Jerusalem. So these were redeemed from among the earth. So if you think these are women, that means you're trying to say only women were redeemed. You see what I mean? Right. But he said these were virgins. So what they're actually saying there, we will get there anyway. But what he's saying that they were pure in their understanding of who Christ is and they were following the Lamb without distraction. They now allowed the church doctrine to distract them from the purity of Christ. We'll get there. Hallelujah. So we're going to say again, who are the women that did not defile them? Women defile the women now. <laughs> if we understand that women speaks about the church, so which women defile the women? We're going to look into that. How is it that they have no lie in their mouth? He said, in their mouth was fine, no God. Amen? We're going to look into that. Now, Commonly, you find that the church says this one of 44 persons or thousand are the ones that are going to be reigning with Christ from heaven. I think the Jehovah's Witnesses teaches that that much. One body four thousand will go up to heaven, then there are many people who are going to inherit the earth. Remember that? Yes, they come on teaching. Jehovah's Witness teaches that that much. And that's a major belief, right? And then we have another sector in the church that teaches that. This one for the 4,000 were Jews that were redeemed or marked out from the tribulation that are going to reign with Christ when he comes again. Amen? Right. Some say, like the one for the 4,000, the Jehovah's Witness me, they reign with Christ from up in the sky. They're going to be reigning with Christ in heaven. Many people are on the earth, but the other sector which have to do with uh, uh, Pentecostals or whatever, they said no. These are Jews. That's why like the preterists. Those were the called preterists, you know, fulfill eschatology. They said no. These are Jews that were redeemed. They not go to the great tribulation, and they are going to be reigning with Christ on the earth. Amen. Hallelujah. And that's what say. Well, they are going to be reigning until. Um, after the war for Magadan, and then they are going to be the one for the 4,000 to reign. So, I don't know where you belong, but those of you listening to me and you sitting down here, I don't know if you've heard about this before. I don't even know what you believe about it before, but we want to examine the scriptures and see what God has for us. So, if we think these are the few people that God wants to have to reign with Him up in the sky, let's even go down with us. Are we saying for about 2,000 years now, God has not been able to get 144,000 people? Think about that. Is that okay? Yeah, because we say, oh God, God redeemed these people. These are the people that are going to be reigning with him up in the sky. There are many of us who are going to be down here. But I'm saying 2,000 years plus, Jesus made that statement to John. So are we saying Jesus has not still been able to get 144,000 people. I mean, how many millions of people do we have on the face of the earth? And yet he can't, he can't pick 144 up to this time. Thousand, not million. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay. So those are the things. Uh, because that's what they are trying to tell us. I think about the saints of old. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All of them put together down to the days of Paul. There's an early church to this hour. You mean Jesus must have been able to get 144,000 people that were in with him? Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay. So, those are some of the things that um, we really want to be looking into. And um, if we continue with this belief of either it's going to be up, have one more default to reign. And up to now, that agenda has not been achieved. I can think that something is wrong. Amen? Something must be wrong. Nigeria is about 2 million people plus, isn't it? Uh, we have Christians here. We have Christians in the U.S. All down the line. People like the Wigo Swart, all down the line. God see have not been able to get one of 44,000 up to now. Something is wrong somewhere. 
Hmm? Hallelujah. So, we can actually conclude that something is wrong with the interpretation or that God changed his mind that he doesn't want to have one for the 4,000 again. Maybe he's having more people now. Hallelujah. But the truth of the matter is, neither is the case that, uh, I mean, everything we have believed is wrong. That is the only conclusion. It's the understanding of the passage in question that is where the problem is coming from. That's where men are not interpreting whatever thing they feel they can interpret. The problem is, the book of Revelation is not a novel. Even the Bible is not a novel, not the book of the book of Revelation. There is something very specific about the book of Revelation. Hallelujah. Some person will tell you the book was fulfilled before AD 70. I have no problem about that. But I also want to make you see something. Anyone who progress will understand. When you want to look at the book of Revelation, there are two things I want to talk about. Don't let what I'm going to say now spoil your head. But it has to do with apocalyptic writing and prophetic utterance. Apocalyptic writings has to do with unveiling. And this is, this is basically... Now, if you look at um, verse 1. Revelation chapter 1 verse 1. And I looked and lo, a lamp, no, Revelation chapter 1 verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servant things which must shortly come to pass. Now that was shortly, it's one of the things that confuses people. And he said and signified by his angel unto his servant John. Now listen, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him. To who? God gave to him? To, to John? To Jesus. Very good. The revelation of Jesus. I want you to take time now and listen to this. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The apocalyptic of Jesus Christ. The unveiling of Jesus Christ. Because that's the word revelation. The word revelation means apocalypse. It means an opening. The revelation, the opening, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show unto John. So what is that supposed to mean? Christ is not the son name of Jesus. How I many of you understand that? You know that very well, right? Very good. So this book, Revelation, is the word Apocalypse. So this Apocalypse of John. And the word Apocalypse is the translation of the Greek word Revelation. So now, the word Revelation actually stands for that which is hidden. I said that some time ago, Right? Which has to be unveiled. Which often has to do with hidden intents. Hidden events. Praise the Lord. Now, there's a difference between apocalyptic writing and prophetic literature. Uh, let me explain what I mean. Apocalyptic writings and prophetic literature may be similar. But the major contrast is like this. For instance, the prophet of old in the Old Testament, they received the word by the hearing of the ear, as the case may be, but they give the word out by saying, Thus saith the Lord. Did you get that? They receive the word, and then they come out to say, Thus saith the Lord. Now, in apocalyptic literature, you receive a revelation in the form of a vision and you pass it on through writings. Understand the difference? Prophetic literature as the word given to prophet. They hear the word and they come and say, Thus saith the Lord. They're trying to communicate what they have received. Is that okay? Right. In apocalyptic writings like revelation, you get a vision it's not thus here the Lord. It's not the word you're hearing. You are getting a vision. Now, when you come out of the vision, you write it down in symbols for people to understand. So, for you to understand apocalyptic writing, you have to understand the symbols that the author uses to be able to interpret and get the mind of the one who's writing it. 
Hallelujah. You have to understand the elements involved in the vision as described in the immediate literal meaning of those words. So, if you look at it now, look at this again. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servant things which must surely come to pass, and he sent and signified, he sent and signified, the word signified is minor, which means to indicate, to signify. So it's a work done in signs and symbols. The whole book of Revelation is a book done in signs and symbols. It signified, it symbolized what he has in mind, what is on the vision. Are you see here? So, it must be observed as a rule in writing like this. Now the elements so mentioned have symbolic values. Signify is using symbols to indicate what he saw in the vision. Remember what he said, I was in the spirit in the day of the Lord. He saw a vision. That is not he heard like the prophet of old, and so he's not saying, Thus he heard the Lord. No. Here he saw a vision. And it was in the day of the Lord. Hallelujah. So, when you read the book of Revelation, such as the persons and the places and the animals, the actions, the objects, the numbers, the measurement, the colors, the garments, all of those things you find there. We are not to understand them or distort the intents and the thoughts of the author by thinking that they are literal. Hallelujah. We must appreciate what I call the imagery because an image that is painting and its true value to do our best to translate. If we are going to follow the book of Revelation, we will do our best to translate the symbols back into the ideas and the intents of the author. We must go back. What is Paul, I mean John trying to say? Through this symbol. So if John, for instance, uses water, we're going to go there. We are, we're not going to find out. Is it talking of literal water or it has a different meaning? Do you understand what I mean now? Yes. Because it's writing, but it's using elements. It's using symbols to explain what he saw in the vision. So you cannot be reading what you saw in the vision and take it literal to say if you mention water then you're talking about H2O no you miss the whole meaning of what he has in mind because it's an apocalyptic writing it's not a normal writing praise the Lord so again we all understand something apocalyptic writing was very popular in some Jewish circles including the essence and, the, and even the Quran they were good in using this you know some two centuries before Jesus ever came. If you look at the prophet, for instance, prophet, I mean, Ezekiel and Zechariah, so those, those two writings are actually apocalyptic in a way. They are done in symbols. You understand that? In the days of Daniel, the apocalyptic writing was very much blown. You know, it's a pattern of writing. It's a way of communicating. That's what I'm trying to say. Praise the Lord. So, but one of the major books of uh, apocalyptic writing, like we're seeing, is the book of Revelation, uh, which we have seen here. Again, look at Revelation chapter 1, verse number 9. And he said, verse 9, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and the patience of Jesus Christ, was in the island of this called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ, right? Okay, this is where he was when he got this revelation or he got this vision. You should know the background of John. John was close to Jesus, one of the beloved. Um, I think he was the last to be killed, as I may to understand. Also, he couldn't be killed in the first place. He couldn't be killed, you know, among the 12. 
so the boiled oil in the big drum and soak him inside, which is what they call tribal deal, right? Brought him inside the drum of oil to cook him, but to find out his body, nothing going to happen. Exactly what happened to Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And they said, well, this guy must be a wizard, so we can't keep him in the city. So they said, okay, let's take him to Patmos, an island. There are animals there. Maybe animals will eat him up, whatever the case may be. So they took him to the island and banished him, just like they sent uh, um, this man of South Africa to an island. You understand that? They're going to punish him and take him to the island, just keep him up there. So that's what they did to him. So he was in the island all alone by himself. And then that was when the vision of the Lord came to him. And he got a revelation. Uh, which what we call now the book of Revelation. Hallelujah. Now we always believe that this book, like I said, so quarters that believe that this book is a fulfilled book. Right? They said this book is fulfilled uh, because verse 1, go back to verse 1 again. It says, The things will surely come to pass. And he sent us signified by his angel unto his servant John. The word signified there is the main thing. And he said, shortly come to pass. The word shortly actually is the word tacos. And tacos means brief space of time. Brief space of time. It means to be haste. It means quickly. It means shortly. It means speedily. It means without delay. By implication, the act in the book I about to be fulfilled without delay. Is that okay? Okay. But honestly speaking, this was to the seven churches. This is where people get it confused about the book of Revelation. And it's because you use the word shortly, tackles, which means it will shortly come to pass without delay. Therefore, Jesus came, I mean, before AD 70, as a matter of fact. That's why the book is said. A lot of people argue that the book is written before AD 70, that right before the fall of Jerusalem. So, why? Because it said without delay. So Jesus came without delay. But the point is this. Go with me to Revelation chapter, um, chapter 4 verse 1. Chapter 4 verse 1. After this I looked. After what? Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. We're all dealing with the seven churches. Do you understand that? Good. All of that was dealing with the seven churches. So, the without delay, anyway, let's read this. After this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in the heavens and, and the voice, the first voice which I heard was at the way of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither and I will show the things which must be hereafter. The word hereafter is misleading. Let's take it from a simpler translation. Use Amplified. You see? I will show you what must take place in the future. So, take NLT or any other one. Amplified says in the future. NLT. I will show you what must happen after this. After what? After the seven churches. Is passed away. After the age of the seven churches, we have other things that are going to happen. So the next thing you're going to be seeing from chapter 4 down to chapter 22 are the things that are going to happen, which actually have to do with his body, have to do with his church. So you can't say the book of Revelation is a fulfilled book. No. It's a progressive book. Praise the Lord. Are you there? Is that the thing which we do what? Happen after this. After what? After the age of the seven churches. After the things that are going to pass by. Remember he spoke to uh, the church in Smyrna, the church in Philadelphia. I will take away your candlestick and all of those things. They did happen. When people say, oh, come on, the Muslim people. Yeah, they came to the church in Turkey. This is what happened. The book of Revelation. I said, yeah, but the Lord told them he's going to take away his candlestick from them. I'm going to take away your pastors. Take away your candlesticks. When a candlestick is taken away, what happened? Darkness comes in. So why will Muslims not take it over? 
Jesus promised them that and he fulfilled his word by taking away the candlestick. And by the time the candlestick was taken away, yes, Islam began to rise. So you can't use that a template to measure anywhere in the world. Like people always say, Islam is going to take over Nigeria. I tell the way they done in Turkey. I said, that is wrong. Jesus never spoke to us they are going to take away the candlestick in this land. There's no promise like that. Praise God, somebody. Are you following what I'm saying? Yeah. He took away the candlestick. He told them, if you don't repent, I'll take away your candlestick. It's as simple as that. And they never repented, and he took away the candlestick. That means he left them alone. Remember, he was in the midst of the seven candlesticks. So, if he moved out of the midst of the seven candlesticks, of course, the light has gone into darkness. So, what do you expect? But Jesus never said anything to the church in Nigeria, that I'm going to abandon you. No, he never said that. Praise God. Are we see here? Now, it's important we follow scriptures and what God is saying, than to just take things and use it as a template to measure anything that's happening on the face of the earth. No. So, after the seven churches, these are the things that are going to happen hereafter. These are things going to happen after now. These are things going to happen in the future. We have more things that are going to happen in the future as compared to what happened to the seven churches. Often and again, people say we're in the age of the seven churches. Okay, fine. That means after the age of the seven churches, other things are supposed to do what? To happen. And whatever things are going to be happening after the age of the seven churches, it are really connected to the sons of God and the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. And so the world will tell us, the book of Revelation will progress and it said, the kingdom of this world, Revelation 11, right? Kingdom of this world become the kingdom of our Lord where? And of his Christ. So it's about his kingdom. He move away from the seven churches, he move into the kingdom and he start talking to us about what is going to be happening in the kingdom of God. You have to understand that everything you see from chapter 5 down through the line is talking about you. Hallelujah. You and the forces of darkness have to do with the earthly man, the Adamic life, all of those that are contrary to the life of God. That's what he described it. And those are the things that how many of you remember? You read down the line, the Bible tells me that we're riding on a white horse. Remember that? Yeah, saw him riding on a white horse. Huh? Just moving on a white horse. I used to tell people, if you think Jesus is coming on a white horse, then you are down the line beyond 2,000 years down the line. Nobody's fighting with white horse today. Horses are meant for war. So Jesus is coming on a white horse. You're thinking of riding on a white horse when Americans and others are using Scott missiles. Oh, you reduce your God to nothingness. It means my heart advanced beyond Jesus Christ. Amen. Come on, are you there with me? Yeah, but I will explain what we get there. If we have time to get to that place, I'll let you know. How many of you understand? Right on the white house in the spirit. Why is it white? It speaks of success. It speaks of victory. It speaks of righteousness. Horses riding on white horse and other horses following means that he has conquered and the people following are his lieutenant, his generals that have followed him to war. So he conquered. We are also conquering. That's what it means to ride on the white horse. He is white horse, speak to righteousness. A horse means a symbol of success and victory. Early times when people go to war, when they finish the war and they succeed in coming back, they start riding back from the victory, I mean, from the war front, and then you see all the people following the leader or the king on the horse moving on. And the people will be lying in the street. And this is the kind of thing that happened in the days of, uh, of, uh, of David when the people begin to sing, Saul has killed uh, uh, 1,000 and David has killed 10,000. I didn't know who told them that. And that caused trouble for the young man, eh? So that's the kind of song they were singing. Now, if the white horse, I mean, the man riding on the horse is in front, all the other soldiers are coming behind. They're all in a procession. You understand that? So here the Bible is telling you, Jesus came to conquer a God of victory. We, as his armies, we are also following him in the trail of the protection as in making a public display of the powers of the enemy. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about literal horses. I'm going to be right in the sky looking up, seeing Jesus coming. Can you imagine? On his tie, that means Jesus is going to be wearing tattoo. Hmm? Because on his tie, he's written what? Lord of Lords and King of Kings. You see that? 
So Jesus is going to be tattooed man. And that's the kind of God that they worship. Imaginary gods. Hallelujah. So here we find that there's a whole lot that's going to happen after the seven churches. That's what he's telling us here in Revelation chapter 4. Meaning that the thing that will happen after the age of the seven churches, um, how the activities and prophecies fulfilled to them, but then a lot of it progress. So the book is futuristic. It doesn't end in AD 70. Not at it end before AD 70. Okay. Praise the Lord. So, it's contrary to what we teach. That well, it's going to happen maybe after the days of a Magadon, whatever the case may be. No. Here is a book that reveals Christ of God in and through a people. I want you to understand. This book revealed the Christ of God in a people and through a people, which is actually you and I. Everything you see there. That's why when we go down, I think after the series, we're going to be dealing with the issue of the mark of the beast so that you can understand it. People talk about the mark of the beast and all they know is, oh, 666, right? Upon people's forehead, 666. I remember early times when I nearly came into the faith and uh, I visited a friend of mine and then he just came to me and showed me a book. He said, David, do you know this part of the mark of the beast? I said, what is that? He brought, uh, it was a little something they bought. And you know what, the barcode, you know the barcode? The barcode, the one that if you go to um, Tivo now, they put the machine on the barcode and gives you the amount. Good, that's the thing. Gives you, you understand that? He put the little machine there, it shows on the computer. The date of production, date of expiration, how much? You understand? That's the barcode. Right. Now you show me the barcode. That was around 1982 or so. I said, hey, David, I said, this is the mark of the beast. I said, that's the mark of the beast. I said, that's what the pastor said. This is the mark of the beast. The barcode. Huh? I mean, that's how low pastors are. Sorry to say. They have no understanding. Then I told them, say, no, this is a barcode. He said, no, this is a mark of the beast. I was okay. Now, the mark of the beast, the Bible didn't say it's going to be on a barcode or on a tablet. He said it's going to be on somebody's forehead and his right hand. He didn't say it's going to be a barcode on, a, on a, you know, soap you buy in the market or, you know, you go to buy detergent, see barcode there, he said that's mark of the beast. If that's a mark of the beast, you are not going to be able to buy anything in a civilized community. Other than your gare and fufu that you buy that have no barcode on them. Hallelujah. Are you following me? You see, the mark of the beast, if you take the mark of your, because we read that, Revelation 14, we're going to talk about it a little bit. If you talk about the mark of the beast on your forehead, it means you're taking the wisdom of the natural man. That's what it means. You're operating your life with natural wisdom. Nothing to do with God's spirit. You know, James said that. He talked of sensual, earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom that come from above. Mark of the beast is sensual wisdom, human wisdom, human knowledge. I was speaking to somebody today and I said, listen, your decision you are trying to take is okay, but can you tell me if it is from God? Because it is sensual. This is human. Nothing to do with God. And that's the mark of the beast. That's why it's written on your forehead, which is a place of wisdom. Then if it's not something written in your hand, it talks about your right hand. Why is the mark on your right hand? Why not on your left? Hmm? And you know, Jesus even said in Mark chapter 9, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Why is the mark always in the right hand? People don't think about that. People don't think about that. Right speaks of the place of power. That's why Jesus is at the right hand of God. He speaks of the place of power. So if you have the mark in your right hand, that means you are operating with the power of the enemy, not God. You could do signs and wonders and miracles with negative spirit. You have the mark in your right hand already. When we get there, we're going to talk about that. Hallelujah. So I'm just introducing the whole thing today before we start dealing with the whole thing. So this is a book that has been manifested through a people. So we're talking about revelation of Jesus Christ. Like I stated earlier on, this statement clearly shows that this apocalyptic writing is about Jesus Christ. Understand it. 
The book is about Jesus. Revelation chapter 1 verse 1. It's not about Babylon. It's not about Egypt. It's not about anything. It's not about Antichrist. No. It's about Jesus. The book is about Jesus. Understand it. I can't emphasize this fact. The revelation of Jesus Christ himself, which God gave unto him to show the unveiling. Hallelujah. Praise God. All right. So in other words, it's a book that unveils Christ and his activities, which God gave to Jesus to show unto his servant John of the things which must shortly come to pass. Hallelujah. Amen. Like I said, notice that it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Get the point. Revelation of who? Jesus Christ, which God gave to him. All of this thing is dealing with one thing. The activities of Jesus Christ in relation to redemption. That's all. In relation to redemption. In other words, the assignment God is giving to him to go redeem a people. Amen? Praise the Lord. Right. Like I said before, you can't begin to read this book and not take note of the symbols used. For instance, we read about a lamb like we read in Revelation 40 verse 1. The lamb was standing on my Zion. We are not going to imagine that Jesus is a four-legged animal. Do you understand that? You can't read a lamb without your mind going to Jesus. You have to be a human being. But yet he saw a lamb. What he saw was a lamb. He didn't say he saw a human being. He said he saw a lamb and those were with the lamb and one hundred forty-four thousand. So if you say, well, I believe in literal, literalism. I believe, I take everything literal. Then you are going to see Jesus as an animal with four legs. Hallelujah. So essentially, we must understand that the activities being described here were used by John to illustrate to us symbolically who Jesus is, what he intends to be. Therefore, the 144,000 is not a literal number. That's what I'm trying to bring out now. You cannot be counting 1, 2, 3, 4 until you get to uh, 1,000 and 144,000. You can't. That is not in excess. The 144,000 is symbolic. And when we get there, I will let you know why it is 144. Praise the living God. So we can imagine that it's a literal number, only 144 people that will be up in the sky or going to be in Jerusalem. What are 44,000? All other people have nowhere to stay or whatever. I don't know what they are trying to tell us. They have nothing to do with that. It's misleading, misrepresentation. For you to think that this has to do with a literal number. That is not what was in the mind of John when he was writing. Hallelujah. Let me give you a simple illustration. John's Revelation 17. Revelation 17, verse 1. I read that a few days ago. And there came one of the seven angels which had his seven vows and talked with me. Saying unto me, Come up hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great hall that seated on many waters. Remember that. Now, if you keep on reading down, you're going to talk about Babylon the Great. That was in the mystery of Babylon the Great. Is that okay? Right. And it says, Seated on many waters. So the question now is, What water was it sitting on? When you read water in the Bible, what do you see? Is it H2O? No. So anyway, let's find the meaning. Go to verse 15. Revelation 17, verse 15. And he said unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the hall, the hallowed seated, are what? Peoples and multitude and nations and what? Tongues. He explained it there. To see it utterly means to control. You understand that? Okay, let me give you an example. Go with me to Matthew 23, verse number 1 and 2. Matthew 
Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribe and the Pharisees sit where? In Moses' seat. What is that supposed to mean? Where did Moses sit that he was sitting on? It's simply law. They were administrators of the law. So, for the hallow to sit upon many waters means he's controlling many people. So, we're talking of negative religious influence in the life of God's people. That's why he said, come out of her, my people, from mystery Babylon. Say, come out of her, from mystery Babylon, my people. You know, don't be controlled with the Babylonian spirit. Praise the Lord. Amen? We also don't know that women in the Bible doesn't speak about literal women. I'm trying to make you see how the book of Revelation was crafted in apocalyptic writing. Women in the Bible doesn't speak of literal women walking the streets. No. That's not what he's talking about. For instance, look at Revelation 21 verse 9. Revelation 21 verse 9. Hallelujah. And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me and saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride. What? The lamb's wife. Women in the Bible speaks about church. Ephesians chapter 5, 25, 32. Ephesians chapter 5, 25. Husband, love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Go to verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and what? The church. Did you get that? So women speaks of church. So, Mystery Babylon, that sitter on many waters, is a church system controlling people. And, and sometimes people think, well, I have had people say, well, this talking of Roman Catholic Church, this talking about. Yes. Any system, I want to make this plain. Any system that can give you the freedom to locate God and express God. For yourself is mystery Babylon. Anything that controls your life as a church system that doesn't give you the freedom to approach God one on one is mystery Babylon. You see, like the Catholic Church, okay, they give you the rosary to read, you right? You, they dictate your prayers. Maybe you have a book, you're reading rosary, you're reading it, just like the Muslim do. You understand that? You don't have a personal access. You don't have to talk to your father. So you'll be controlled by the rosary. You understand that? You'll be controlled by the rosary. Now, if you come to a church, or the one they call Pentecostals, and they tell you, well, until you have olive oil, until you have holy water, eh? you sprinkle and all that, God can answer your prayer. That's mystery Babylon. It's taking away from you your personal relationship with God. My sheep here, my boy, have nothing to do with holy water you fed from well. My sheep here, my boy, have nothing to do with olive oil. That you have to pour on somewhere before anything can happen. Who told you that? Hallelujah. It's mystery Babylon. Though you say you're Pentecostal because you're speaking tongues, but yet you put people in bondage, they can't express themselves. They don't have no personal relationship with God. You are operating as mystery Babylon, the great. Yeah, hello, church. Amen. You're controlling people. You are a hallowed church. That's what it means. Mystery Babylon sitting upon controlling people, ruling people. Jesus came that you may express, have that personal expression with God. Jesus came and come to that place where Adam was. They have personal communion. Come on, think about it. Adam could get to know when God was moving in the cool of the evening. He could get to know. But do you know when God is moving? 
Do you know when God is working? You have no idea, no clue. I was chatting with somebody yesterday during counseling section. Do you know why God, do you know why God liked to talk to us in dreams? Do you know why? Let me show you. Why do we dream? You see, is the dreaming is the first basic foundation to hearing God. But why do you think we dream? Do give to me Job 33. Job 33. You see, I encourage you to read your Bible. Job 33, give me verse 14. Try to read your Bible, friends. Be occupied with your Bible. Be occupied with the scriptures. For God speaketh once, yet twice, yet man perceived it not. Look at the next thing. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men, in slumberings upon the bed, was the next thing. Then he opened the ears of men and sealed what their instruction. In other words, your daily activities, they so much preoccupy you that when God is talking, you don't hear. So he rather wait when you sleep as if you are dead. You will not start speaking to your spirit. So your subconscious mind will begin to receive impressions. And you're seeing this like you're watching the television. So when you wake up the next day, you say, oh, I had a dream. It's playing back what was registered where in your subconscious mind. That's dream. Why would God do that? Because we are too busy. Too busy. You could be talking now. Now I'm talking. If God is talking now, you may not hear. The only way you can hear God now is to begin to understand what I'm saying. But because there's a lot of sound anywhere, you know, television, radios, wherever in the house, people are making, I mean, you can hear God. So God would rather wait. But that's not the way he intends to commune with you. He intends, even if you're walking the street, he can be talking to you. I was sharing with somebody yesterday. One of the greatest revelations of instruction that are given in this church years back. Over there, we're still there. I was traveling to Lagos. And in front of me, I gave this question some time ago. I was in the front seat. You know, I like front seat, wherever I sit. Even if I have a bunch of seat in the pulpit, I mean the cockpit in the plane, I will sit there. I like front seat. A lot of people don't like front seat. Say if accident happened, you'll be the first to die. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes discover that those who are at the back, that people that died first before those of us in front. Praise God. <laughs> so, guess what? This is what I'm saying. We were driving before Ray on the way to Lagos. I saw somebody walking towards us. I was looking like this. The person, it was a man, but it was on white. He was walking. We are going towards him, but we can't get to him. The more we are driving, the more he's going. You know what we call a mirage? Yes, mirage, water, mirage, right? Exactly. But he was talking to me. The driver did not know I was seeing anybody. And I was taking instruction. And he was talking to me from Abraham to Sarah. In fact, he was teaching me on family on the road. For almost about 30 minutes, I was on that experience. That was God talking to me. Though I was in midst. You can imagine what happened to Ezekiel. See, I was in midst of the 70, I mean, the elders of Jerusalem. And God took me up. And I saw the idol in the temple. He was sitting with them. He could see what was in the temple. He could see what God hates. That's how God wants you to live. He wants you to express, I mean, to express him. He is in your life. He is within you. Praise God. Anything that will shut that door is mystery Babylon. No matter the level, the popularity, the size of the church, that is still mystery Babylon. They can be Pentecostals or Pentecrazy. It's mystery Babylon. As long as they don't allow people to have freedom and access to God, they put you in chain. They dictate what you do every now and then. That's mystery Babylon. So this is why God talks to us in dreams. Because we're too busy. You understand that? We are too busy. Too busy. Like I was trying to instruct the individual. In my early times, though he still does that, but it comes to a point, I wasn't getting revelations anymore. When I go to dream, he speaks to me. I wake up, I take scriptures, I read and all that. It comes about, only about three years of that experience or so. It, the thing sees, okay, let me say two years. And I was wondering, I go to sleep, I don't get nothing. I said, what is happening? So I, you know, and they taught us, when you start having those experiences, check yourself. Either you're seen, <laughs> you understand that. So I said, oh God, 
Where have I seen? I start checking. I start checking. Nothing was going on. So one day I saw myself walking to the school. Right at the center of the road, I had a voice. I got a scripture. Oh my God. I walked very quickly to my office. Opened my office, took my Bible. I took the scripture. I read it. I went back home. I think I was also sitting in my parlor then. I had another voice again, another scripture. Oh. Now, I became more interested again in this dimension. So God was only trying to win me away from waiting to go to sleep before I hear him. To let me know that I can hear him even when I'm not sleeping. Do you understand that? And that's the way it works. That's exactly the way it works. You check my Bible, you see dates. Sometimes I'll be sitting down like this, the Lord will give me scriptures concerning a particular case. I'll just go read it, I'll say, thank you Jesus. And it will come directly, it will come directly connected to what is going on. I don't have to sleep anymore to get that. So I move from the level of dreaming to level of hearing without going to sleep. Are you following what I'm saying now? And that's how God wants you to operate. But anything that will not give you the access is mystery Babylon. No matter how famous, no matter how big, no matter how large, where you can have personal relationship, when God can communicate to you, you're taking a decision, God can speak to you on it. You're either waiting for olive oil or waiting for red candle or blue candle. Oh, hallelujah. Uh, recently, we, we, we see our men, I'll tell you, go and bring goat. Huh? Like one pastor, I don't want to call the name. Lady went. You know, talking about the issue of marriage or whatever. So she's going to bring a goat. And the goat that's bringing must be male goat. That male goat that pursued the female goat. You understand that? So she bring the male goat. And it must be male goat that have beer. So they brought the male goat to the pastor. And he says, the way the male goat sniff the female goat. You understand that? That is where men are not going to be sniffing her. So now she can get the husband to marry. Look at that. Church. Huh? Going to look for male goat and male sheep. You understand what I'm saying? You can talk to God. Mystery Babylon. And these are Pentecostal churches, what I'm saying. So when he said Mystery Babylon, right here, sitting upon many waters, we're talking of the church system controlling people. They don't have access to God. They can communicate to God. Amen? It's so bad. So terribly bad. Praise the Lord. Alright, so um, going to shut down. Let me just read this. Uh, what do I take from you? Okay, Revelation 22. Revelation 22 verse number 1. Are you following this? Yeah. 22 verse number 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. What is that supposed to mean? Do you mean in heaven? Huh? Where God's throne is. There's a river on the throne. You know what the throne is? You go to the Olu Palace now. We sit on the throne. Then right on the throne there will be a river flowing out. We, do we ever think at all? As believers. Do we think? Praise the living God. So we think this is a literal thing because you are a literal guy, you believe in literalism. So the throne where God is sitting, river is flowing there. Hey, hallelujah. Praise the living God. Of all the several meanings you can find in relation to um, um, what do you call it? Rivers or the word of God. Oh, take for instance, Hebrew chapter 10. Look at verse 22. Hebrews 10 verse 22. Let us draw near with a pure heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from our evil conscience and bodies washed with what? Pure water. With pure water? <laughs> pure water. The one you sell on the street. See that? The pure water is what? The word of God. Did you see that? So pure water is not today. It has only been there. In my... <laughs> Praise the living God. So that is not talking about H2O. Amen. Look at Ephesians 5 verse 26. 
Ephesians 5 26. We're looking at the water from the throne. That he must sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by what? By the words. The washing of water by the word. So, and our conscience clean with the pure word of God. Not pure water you buy in the streets. No. Amen. Okay. Look at John 15 verse 5. John 15 verse number 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. He that abideth in me. Oh, thank you Jesus. And I in him. The same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. I think, look at verse 1. Let me look at verse 1. That's what I'm on. Praise the Lord. I'm the true vine, and my father is the unbe made. Put in this verse. And he says, uh, Every branch in me that beareth no fruit, it away, and every branch that bringeth forth fruit, he purge it, that he may bring forth what? Much fruit. Right? Next verse says, Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. They're together. You are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Okay. Final scripture on that. Psalm 119, 119, verse number 9. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. So pure water from the throne speaks of undefiled word, the pure word of God. All right. Better where we shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed dear unto according to what thy word. That's all. They together. So when he said the throne of God, the river flowing proceeded. How many of you understand? Even John 17, Jesus talks about John 7, rather, he talks about out of your belly shall flow what rivers of living water. He's not talking about H2O. So you read in the book of Revelation talking about the woman sitting on many waters. It's not talking about literal water. It's talking about people. It's talking about the word of God. Talking about the life of God that nothing won't beat. Hallelujah. To do with physical water. Now I'm introducing the whole of this for you to understand as a beginning so that when we start moving finally, you'll be able to see exactly Let's take one scripture more on this issue of water and I will close for tonight. First Peter 1, 22, 23. 1 Peter 1, 22, 23. See ye have purified your souls in doing what? Obeying the truth through the spirit in, unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with what? Pure heart fervently. Verse 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by what? The word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. That's a pure water coming from the throne. So the word that is pure, that sanctified, that cleans, is the pure water of life that we're talking about. We don't read water in the book of Revelation. I'll be thinking about H2O. I'm trying to give you this background so that when we begin to study, Dealing with the issue of the 144,000. Dealing with the redeemed. Dealing with the hearts. You begin to understand that the choir you are into. Remember I said they have harps and they were singing new songs. David was the first man that actually introduced choir in the Bible. And I'll give you the scripture. First Chronicles. He was the first man that initiated choir. Alright. All this one lucky and this one doing. You are following the pattern of David. He, he brought you there. Praise God. All these people. You are David's children. He's the originator of the choir. He, the choir master is David. Amen. Praise God. Are you following what I'm saying now? Yeah. So, you're going to see all of those things. So, when you look at the scriptures, I don't want you to be seeing literal things going on when you start reading the book of Revelation. Maybe you see tigers, you see crocodiles. The other day, somebody asked me, well, the beast, the beast. The beast speaks of people, beast speaks of evil spirit, if you will. Anything negative that is not of God is a beast. Amen? Praise the living God. So friends, I need you to come to that place that you will have your personal encounter with God, personal relationship with God. Come to the place where God will open up unto you. His mind is taught. And like I was saying, 
Adam could hear the voice of God in the cool of the evening. I mean, that's how to be a son. When, when your father is passing by, you know when your father is talking, you should be able to understand. When you're taking a decision and God is speaking, you should be able to know the mind of God. Hallelujah. Yeah, you should know that this is God talking to me and this is God instructing me to do what I'm supposed to do. And that is the way he intends us to live. So that mystery Babylon will not be the source of our life. Giving us things that are contrary to the mind of God. Have I helped you tonight? God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org. God bless you.